0: All right, happy Father's Day. Let's uh man, let's let me real quick. I just want to do something with you guys. I want to lift up today and I want to lift up our fathers uh in prayer. Um I was thinking about that this morning and and how difficult days like this can be for some people because some of you've lost your fathers. Some of you had a bad experience with your fathers. Father's Day is different for different people and what it, what it is, but most of us have had somebody in our life who has served in the role of a father that really emulates Christ. And I think that that is what fathers are given to us to do, not simply to raise us, not simply to help us mature, um, but really to be a reflection of who God is in our lives and the kind of love that God shows uh, so let's go ahead and just honor our fathers, and let's lift up our, uh, our fathers in prayer. Uh, my God, I just want to come before you, and um, I thank you so much for the gift of my own dad. Uh, thank you for fathers. And um, I ask a blessing over the families of this body. I pray, God, that um, we would just look to you and want to reflect to you and we'll want to reflect your love, want to reflect uh, the kind of father that you are. And I ask a blessing on our young men. I pray that they would aspire to be uh, fathers um, that are like you. That have your your heart. That have your spirit of of compassion. Your spirit of discipline and love. And I just praise you so much for the kind of men that you've put in our lives. Uh, it's in Christ's name, Amen. Uh, I'm going to be in Luke chapter 10, so if you don't mind, open up with me. I'm going to let the text uh, just kind of lead us this morning. Um, he, this is the context. This is what we're dealing with right now. Uh, Jesus said in chapter 9, verse 51, it says this, He resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Um, and it's a turning point in the book of Luke where all of a sudden Jesus is saying, I am going to Jerusalem. And everything from this point forward is going to change gears. Now for the next four or five chapters, they're all kind of red letter chapters. In other words, they're going to be full of uh, parables and teaching. And you might lose track of what's happening. But it's going to pick up in a few chapters where Jesus at this point said, I am heading towards Jerusalem. We're beginning this, this campaign, this march. And this is the context in which Jesus said, um, whoever wishes to come after me, must pick up his cross and follow me. This is how chapter 9 closed. So he says, I'm going to Jerusalem, and if you wish to come after me, pick up your cross, get ready for self-denial. That is the context of the sending of the 72, and that's where we're going to be this morning. So I'm just going to begin in verse 1 of chapter 10. It says this, After this the Lord appointed 72 others, sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. Now I want to ask you something, man. This is this is crazy to me. Can you imagine these are the only missionaries ever to do their mission work while Jesus is still present on the earth? They're out doing mission while Jesus is here. And they're they're to go out and to prepare the way. They're out with the gospel, the same gospel that Jesus has preached throughout the book of Luke. The kingdom of God is near. That is how the gospel is defined in the book of Luke and in the book of Acts. And, and I'm I'm curious if we would have defined, if I had asked you, what is the gospel? Um how we might how what we might say? But in Luke and Acts, this is the gospel, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is near. His reign, His rule, His authority, His presence, His judgment, this is near. And this is going to be sort of the theme of these verses. But these missionaries are going to go out while He's present. Why 72? If you have the King James Version or the American Standard Version, it's going to say 70. And this is such a distracting thing um, that you're like, is it 70 or 72? But it's actually really helpful that there's a distinction. Now, I want to tell you why is the reason you have that distinction. If you have the King James or American Standard Version, it'll say 70 is because they're more rooted in ancient Jewish texts. In Genesis chapter 10, Noah had 70 grandsons. And those 70 grandsons represented 70 nations in Jewish tradition. And the Septuagint, it records in Genesis 10 that he had 72 grandsons. And so it depends on which tradition you're coming from. But that's actually really helpful to the text because most likely the 70 or the 72 represent the nations of the world. Represent going into all the world. Represent sort of this This gospel is going to be for everyone, which is really interesting because you remember in the previous chapter, he sent out the 12 and the 12 were to go and he gave them the same instructions. Don't take a bag. Don't take anything. Just go. Just go with this gospel. Now he's going to give a very opposite command later in the book and we'll get to that, but he's going to now send out 72. These are the apostles. When you read about the apostles in the book of Acts and so forth, the apostles are not the 12. The 12 were apostles, but the apostles really just meant those who had walked with Christ, experienced Christ, and were now sent. And that's what the word apostle means, those who are are sent. So these 72 are going to be sent out, and this is their message. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I'm sending you like lambs among wolves. Um, the most touching part of this to me, and, and in this message this morning, we're going to be talking a lot about mission. We're going to be talking about who we are and what mission really needs to be in our lives, how we need to understand mission. But it says this, ask the Lord of the harvest. Those words to me meant everything when I was studying this, because I said, you know what? and I've said this before, but I'm I'm still really trying to flesh this out in my own life, is I I consider myself in my pride and delusional mind, I consider myself a professional and that God is a part of my work. And, and, And books that are written and everything that we see reflects that same mentality is that we are professionals and we're trying to do this and we're trying to include God in our work. The truth is, this is God's work. And I'm a small part of it. And God could do better with a rock. This is God's kingdom. This is his work. And we have the privilege and the joy of being a part of that. And what that is. When it says, ask the Lord of the harvest. This is his work. This is his campaign. This is everything comes from him. And and goes back to Steve's class this morning. This came up. Learning to depend on him. Learning to truly say, man, God, I need you. I desperately need you for this work. I need help to come from you. I've got ideas, and listen, I'm going to do the best I can. I'm going to throw out everything I've got at this. But the truth is, at the end of the day, um, I need you. And we depend on you. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. I'm sending you like lambs among wolves. Don't take a purse, or a bag, or sandals. Don't greet anyone on the road. That's a weird command right there. When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Now, I just want to look at the first part of this real quick. It says this. Don't take a purse, or a bag, or sandals. Um, he is going to give the very opposite command just before he goes to the crucifixion. He said, before I told you, don't take this stuff. Now you're going to need to take this stuff. I'm going to go ahead and tell you ahead of time. A lot of what he's saying here is you're going to a field right now that is going to be very receptive. You're going to have people take you in. Things are going to be going good. Once I'm crucified and Christians become enemies of the state, guess what? You're going to have to prepare. You're going to have to plan. You're going to have to go. Okay? Um, and so there is going to be a distinction between the two. He says this, when you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. Um, I asked Daniel and Brad, a lot of times I'll just run things by them and say, man, what do you think of this? Because these verses really got me last night. Because it, it, the way I read this, I said, man, look how actual this is. Like if I, if I greeted you this morning and I said, um, I don't say peace be upon you, I'm not like that, but um, I say, hey, good morning, God bless you, things like that, those are just kind things for me to say. Um, to be honest with you, I think in passing when we say blessings on one another, I don't think we really think of it, at least I don't, as actual. It's sort of just a kind thing to do with their well-wishing. Um, but in this context and throughout the Bible, the truth is curses and blesses uh, cursings and blessings, they, they seem so actual. And I want you to just look at what it says here. It says, when you enter a house, ask the blessing of peace on this home. And if a man of peace is there, um, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. That this actual thing where you come into a home and they receive you, it gives you peace. But I asked Daniel and Brad, and they had much better insight than I did on this because I love what both of them said. Uh, Daniel said, um, isn't it true that when you enter a house, when you come to somebody's home, my attitude, when I enter that home, my attitude, my mission, my thoughts impact the entire Dialogue. They impact everything because I'm going with a mission, a purpose, and I'm thinking about what God is doing in this. I loved what He said there, Um, but He says this: if if not, your peace will return to you. In class this morning, we talked about buckets, Um, and I I stole Steve's bucket, Um, and I loved what he had to say. And I want to talk a little bit about this this morning um, because. Uh, this is a mes- message that I am needing to internalize, and I think we do as most of us do. I want to begin by talking about soccer. Um, soccer is the greatest sport on earth. Um, I, am, I am obsessed with soccer. I absolutely love the game. Um, and coming here and meeting so many guys, it was like, Man, these there's some good soccer players in this church, you know. And, and I'm getting older, and it was intimidating to play with them. But I started playing soccer when I was a little kid um, and, and absolutely fell in love with it. Um, I can't even remember how young I was. And, and the more I started playing soccer and getting into it, uh, the more competitive I became. And I remember the first time that I went out to tryouts and there was a red team. I think there was a yellow team, a red team, a blue team, and a gold team. I might have gotten that off, but it was something like that. And you had to juggle a ball for a while to see which one you got to qualify for. And at that point, soccer started becoming something more competitive. And I realized I wasn't as good as those kids. And I'm better than those kids. And I want to get to where, you know, and all of this other stuff. And soccer became more and more and more competitive. It used to be so much fun. It used to be just, man, I just wanted to go in the backyard with my friends. And it was just a blast. And then it started becoming this very technical game. That I couldn't keep up with those. And I wasn't the coach's son. And all of this other stuff was going on, right? And then I moved to Ecuador. After church in Ecuador, still to this day I bet, um, they make an announcement that we're all going to meet at Carolina Park, and when I say all, everybody goes to play soccer. Grandmas are out there playing soccer. Little children are out there playing soccer. The competitive, the, the, not the competitive, but the college age. Everybody is playing soccer together. The whole church is going, and it's this blast. It's the community. And the American comes in and says, "Man, I grew up playing soccer. I was on this team. I, you know, at all this other stuff." And this, and who got destroyed by four year olds? Absolutely wrecked by four-year-olds out there. And, and all of a sudden, I'm, I'm like, what on earth? My, my good friend, Yvonne, he had a heart condition. He couldn't run. And I could not take the ball from him. He did this little thing, and I, I, I can't even... But he did this trick, and, he, and I asked him one time, I said, what do I need to do to improve at soccer? And he said, Jeff, you need to have fun. And you need to Pass. That was the other thing he told (laughs) you. He said, this is what you need to do to get good at soccer. The reason I use that analogy is it brought back to me living there. They said, it's an art. It's fun. Um, Years ago, I won't stay on soccer forever, but, but in the late 90s, I think it was when the World Cup was in Brazil. Uh, there were Nike commercials called Jogo Bonito, and it was about this whole idea of soccer had become a cold technical game with cheating and acting like you're hurt on the field all the time. And they all the commercials were about bring back the beauty of the game, bring back the joy of the game, uh, bring back the Brazilian style, you know, is a lot of what it was. I wanted to use that analogy because that's exactly what has happened with mission in my life. The same thing. Mission was supposed to be, God has done this in my life. God has rescued me. God has transformed me. It's fun. I want to go out. I want to share this with people. And then I went to school and I, for decades, I've been reading books and manuals about how to be intentional and missional and incarnational. And there's this philosophy of mission and this philosophy of, and it's all good. I think it's all healthy. Those are written by smarter people than I am, but it also became cold and technical and heartless. And I saw missionaries on the field that had the science of mission down and were losing their families. And there's no joy in their heart. There's professionalism. It's about numbers, not about spirit. And what on earth happened to the joy of it? all? Oh, that's going to come up in this context. I'm not leaving the context here. And so what it's about is what's in your bucket. And someone said, in fact I'll say Heather said in class, um, it's not about our bucket, it's about somebody else's bucket. It's about what we're putting into somebody else. I love that and I love the last slide in class this morning said, don't just agree with what Jesus says, do it. The, the gospel isn't about what I know. It's not here, believe, repent, confess, be baptized, Romans 10, 17, Acts 2, 38, all of the things that you grew up memorizing and saying, I bet, I hope I say this right. The gospel is something in you. That's 1st John. Read through 1st John and every verse of 1st John says that. It's what's inside of you. It's who you are. It's the joy. It's the love. It's the peace. It's people seeing Jesus in you. It's not something that can simply be conveyed. It's something that is witnessed and seen inside of us. It's when somebody, man, somebody, if they're living the life of Jesus Christ, they're living that. Their very life is the gospel. That's, that's all it takes. And I'm not saying don't use words, but I'm saying this, man. It's got to be something where the joy of the Spirit is inside of me. It's who I am. And if that joy and that peace and that power is not present within you, I'm going to say this. The gospel is not present on your lips either. It's not. It's something that has become cold and professionalized. And something that is from man and not from God anymore. And this is what's happening. I'm I'm going to talk about their mission and kind of relate it to ours. It says this. When you're in that house, stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you. For the worker deserves his wages. Don't move from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. I like it how he says that twice. Um, Heal the sick who are there and tell them... The kingdom of God is near you. This was Jesus' message, and this is the message he gives to the disciples. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town that sticks to our feet, we wipe off against you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near you. In other words, he said this, man, this is the gospel. God is near And if you're sick and if you're hurting and you're desperate right now, I want you to know the gospel in your life is God is near. And if you are a rebel and you are a contentious man and you are violent and you are all this other stuff and you are rejecting God, I'm going to tell you something. God is near. And so the same words that are blessing to one people are a warning to somebody else. I want to let you know he is present he is near the judge is standing at the door if i was going to quote revelation it is right it is right here in front of you know that god's salvation is right there he who listens to you listens to me he who rejects you rejects me but he who rejects me rejects the one who sent me everyone in this world is in one of two kingdoms you are either in the kingdom of god or you in the kingdom of satan it's one of those two and you just climb the ladder and this is what we did here you just climb the ladder to say oh, who's in charge here who's really in charge who is governing my thinking who's over it all and it is either it always either comes down to the world and satan or it comes down to god but this is this is what our whole mission is about we our words everything we say and represent is not ours we're just vessels but it's coming from God himself. It says the 72 returned, and these are the texts I kind of wanted to focus on. How about this? The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I love that verse because what he's saying there is this: the, he was in charge of all of these kingdoms, all these thrones, and through this gospel and through this message, he's losing his grip. And the kingdoms of Satan are becoming the kingdoms of God. And I'm taking people's hearts and giving them to God. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions. To overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. How about this? However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Now where does your joy come from? Um, my joy has often come from the success of ministry or the lack of success in ministry. The mentality that I grew up with, if you're going to a healthy church, you're joyful. If you're going to an unhealthy church, you're sad. If, you're, if these are your conditions in life, you're joyful. If these are your conditions... And he says this, man, don't let your joy come from your success in your ministry. Why? Because things are about to change in a hurry. Okay, in the next 40 years, you're going to find something different. Things are going to change. My joy, everything comes from the fact that your name is written in heaven. It's who you are. It's what's in you. It's what God has done. It's, it's, it's that whole thing about the difference between you know, a seven-year-old playing soccer in Ecuador and somebody who trains in high schools here. Man, you train... It's something that's in your mind. It's something you do. It's technical. It's mechanical. For those seven-year-olds, man, it was their life. It was art, and they would destroy you. It's because it's who they are. And the one thing that I believe is necessary in churches today, and it's part of who we are, I believe in planning. I believe in training. I believe in education. I believe in all of this. But if we get to a point where we are no longer dependent on the Spirit, we no longer represent that spirit. We no longer represent God if we are not dependent on Him. We represent a healthy organization that teaches good morals. But the kingdom of God is something altogether different. And it will never perish, it will never spoil, it will never fade. The kingdom of God has been advancing in this world and will continue to advance. We have the privilege to be a part of that. They went out with that kind of joy because of what God has done in their life. Listen, mission today, whether it's foreign mission or domestic mission, is dependent mostly on one thing, and that is your individual walk with God. When you are walking with God He's alive in your heart, the joy of your name written in heaven, the joy of hope, the joy of what's ahead, the joy of what the Spirit's doing inside of you, and the joy of change, and the joy of all of this. Listen, you are now a missionary. You are now somebody who represents his kingdom. You are somebody who really has something in you that changes lives. And my prayer for the church today at Meadowlark, and I want to lift up our church in prayer, um, but my prayer for Metal Ark as a church, and Brad said it last Sunday, um, I hope that we continue to grow. I hope that we continue to be, um, um, to be willing to change, to be willing to adapt, to be willing to submit to one another in a spirit of love. I pray that we'll do all of this. But more importantly, more than anything else, I pray that each one of us, our families, our fathers, every individual, maintains a walk with God that overflows with love and joy and peace. And that those are not theoretical. And they're not good teachings. But they're experiential and something that is truly inside of us. Something that nothing can take away from you. Nothing can take away from uh, your heart. Listen, this morning... um, I know for some of you that's an encouraging message. But I also know for some of you that's a challenging message. I know for some of you I probably encouraged you, and for a couple of you I might have made you angry. But I want to just challenge you in this. If that joy that you first had, I pray, when you came to Christ, that humility, that peace, if that is not present I pray that you would not look to the church, that you would not look to the world, that you would not look to circumstances and say, well, I've just been done wrong. I pray that you would look to your walk with the Spirit, and I pray that you would come back to your Father. I would pray that that kind of walk would not only transform your life, but transform your family and transform the people around you, because that's what brings life to people. Uh, My Father, I just... um, I ask that this mission of the 72 uh, is something that we would experience today. To go out in the joy and the knowledge that the kingdom is near. The judge is standing at the door. I pray God that um, in all of our commercial churches today. Competing with one another about philosophies and, and so forth. It's fine, Father, but I I pray that above all of that, that you would remind the church what your kingdom actually is, what your people actually look like. And I pray, Father, that it will not be about anything except for the joy of a walk in in you. I pray, God, that uh, you would fill us with passion for mission in every house we enter, in every person we come into contact with, I pray, God, that it's not something that we have to even consciously do. That it's something that is just a part of our nature and who we are. That you are the one joy of our life. And I pray that you would empty us of everything that doesn't belong to you. And completely fill us with your spirit. I love you for the joy of that message. It's in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and worship our God together.